Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about anything involving horror movie cultures, uh, macabre and dark things, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse, F-bombs, you know, all, all that boring stuff that's just totally okay for kids. Right. But actually, it's not. So that's why we have this trigger warning. We are going to be talking about messed up, messed stuff. up stuff and dropping all kinds of F and S and B bombs. So if that's not your cup of tea or if there Get are children present, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if that is something that you're interested in listening to, listen to us talk about all the fucked up shit like that. So. Coming up in the very near future, we will be interviewing Mr. James Bickert, producer, director, and writer, best known for works like Amazon Hotbox, Frankenstein Created Bikers, Dear God No, and Dumpster Baby. It's a great list there. Mm. And then uh, also Ron Bonk, writer and director of House Shark and Sharks of the Corn. Looking forward to that one, too. But today, we have the wonderful company of Sadie Katz, actress, producer, and writer, Best known for Wrong Turn 6, uh, Amityville Harvest, The Bill Murray Experience, her uh, first writing foray into documentary. And I uh, recently discovered uh, the reboot of Blood Feast, which was awesome. Hey, Sadie. Welcome, Sadie. Hi there. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so um, I think we talked about this a little bit offline, but um, you know, the, the idea behind this podcast is to find out what it is that people love about horror. Um, the way we're going to do that is going to, we're going to ask questions about um, your childhood, your teenage years or your adult years. Um, we come at it from three different directions like that, because sometimes it triggers memories that you'd forgotten about, but that said, it's not meant to be a ther- therapy session. So if there's anything you don't want to talk about, you know, just say pass and we'll move on. But um, what are some of your earliest memories about, uh, of scary things? Oh, wow. I love that you said about a therapy session. I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> this will save me a couple bucks. Yeah. Um, it kind of ends up being that way sometimes. Right? Well, I, I do love that when you guys reached out to me, I was like, that's a damn good concept. I right? I would list, I want to listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was a real chicken as a kid. Like, I'm still a chicken, I have to tell you. Like, yeah, um, That's normal. I like one of my earliest memories of just being really frightened was walking to school in kindergarten. Hmm. Don't ask me why my mom was allowing me to walk to school in kindergarten, but um, there was, yeah, it it was in the eighties and there was a black cat. And I remember because I was a blonde haired, blue eyed kid, my mom was always like around October. There's a lot of people doing satanic rituals so watch for black cats or vans <laughs> so <laughs> i had some real you know ideas and i remember like on my way to school this black cat just staring at me and me sitting on like a stoop and i sat there all day at least what felt like all day until i saw the kids come back so like i already had that and then um god i, like I started that, i like that your mom's conscious enough to tell you that you know you're a blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid. Be careful, there are vans out there. But yet, still sends you to walk to school for kindergarten. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. There are dangerous things what? out there, and you might get kidnapped or murdered. 
So be careful. Good luck. Like. <laughs> well, I, I think the same thing. I look back and I'm like, you know, I used to go. My mom was not the, you know, my Sink mom was a swim. bit of a go. wagon too. Yes. And I do remember like, I mean, this was a big deal is I would go to my room and we lived in an apartment, but there was like a long hallway and my parents always laughing at me because I would run down the hallway because, you know, and that I have to say, I probably spent a lot of my life doing that till I was too old. <laughs> how, how old are we talking? 20, 30? Uh, that's not all right. I, just, <laughs> Pass. I think last week I got down on it. I don't know. I, I can, I mean, look, I just went to the Halloween. I know I'm skipping around a bit, but you're just going to have to take it. Okay. Um, I went to the Halloween um, thing over at Griffith Park, which is like a Halloween hayride. Mm -hmm. And with my son and his girlfriend and my fiance. And so I handled that, but I was crying more than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Like, in our in our like hey right thing and then they wanted to go through some mazes and i was like hell no no mm -hmm. so i waited outside and my and my son who's 20 was like there's no way you could have handled that like i am the mm -hmm. real deal fucking chicken and I was but, say, so you're a scream queen but a chicken shit Oh God, I'm a chicken shit. But as it just a kid, makes the that much more believable. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, like it's not even. I don't have like a scream per se because I just put myself in a situation like, like if I play, if you said, "Do you want to play tag?" Like my heart would race immediately. I like I'm that I'm a scaredy cat. Like, <laughs> which you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but I grew up during like Tales from the Dark Side and monsters and. Mm -hmm. Tells from the crypt and um, reruns of um, Elvira. And, you know, so we lived in like a TV horror, like Wonderland. Mm. What do you think was the first, do you, what's the first horror uh, content that you remember consuming? Uh, watching Tells from the Dark Side with my mom. Okay. Did, did you guys ever see that? Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm trying Probably. to remember. I remember Tales from the Crypt. I'm trying to remember Tales from the Dark Side, though. It's like Twilight Zone. Oh, so Twilight Zone would be my very first when they had like the marathons, okay. which were great. But Tales from the Dark Side was like these 30 minute sort of, you know, you should check it out actually. 30 minute sort of Tales from the Dark Side, but with the horror bent. And the beginning was so scary. It was, that was like the thing that would really get you. So that's, that's my young memories. And, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street came out. That was like my first R-rated horror film my parents let me watch. Mm -hmm. And I was scared out of my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, um, what scared you about Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't remember finding Freddy Cougar um, funny. I just remember finding him terrifying. And I've never been a good sleeper. I've always had really vivid nightmares. Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea of someone coming, something coming for you and, you know, in your dreams to me is like very, is a visceral thing. Cause we all, I don't know. You don't have to go to the forest or anything. Like we're going to, you know, <laughs> sleep every you. night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Fuck that. And what was the one where you got sucked in the TV? Who got sucked into the TV? Poltergeist. 
It's Poltergeist, but that also happens in Nightmare on Elm Street too, right? It does. Yeah, I think that was number three yeah. or four. Can't remember, but yeah, one of them did get sucked in a TV because she was going to be an actress. She's on prime time oh, now. I vaguely recall that. Um, oh, oh, yeah, and there was something about like being sucked into a TV that I think was like an eighties mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing guys. that in a couple of different things. You had Freddy Krueger, Videodrome, uh, Poltergeist. How old were you when you saw Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, God, I'm dating myself, but not really. Let's see. I think my parents let me see it because I begged Mm -hmm. in, like, third grade. You know, it was, like, this real thing of me, like, please, please, I can handle it. My parents, like, this... This has a little bit, it just gives you an eye of like, my mom was a young mom and I remember being four years old and she was a big smoker and me like always playing with her cigarettes. So my mom was like the old school mom who like, we went to the store and she bought me a pack of cigarettes and thought that it would turn me off. And like, I smoked the entire pack. When you were four? Yeah. And they finally had to stop me. I think it, it was almost the entire pack. And of course I was puking and shitting my guts out. And but still you wouldn't let her win. You're like, no, I'm going to finish. Oh, oh yeah. I thought it was so cool. But I mean, that's, that's the kind of parents. Like I think they, yeah. My parents were like, oh yeah. And so yeah. They're they like, were oh, like, that backfired. This is an I, epic battle of parenting. Like, oh, you, oh, you're smoking. All right. Well, you're going to smoke the whole pack. She's. Still smoking. Still it. smoking. Stop it. I got, yeah. So they did shit like that. That like, I mean, in the eighties, parents did stupid. I think they didn't have the internet and like parents did weird stuff. So I thought like, they kind of thought it was hilarious to scare me because I was an only child and they like, you know, they would like jump in, you know, we're coming home and they would jump in the house. They were assholes. Mm -hmm. They would jump in the house and then like jump out the back window and then the house would be all dark. And I'd go like, I'm not coming in. You guys, you you know, I know what you're going to try to scare me. And then they would come around front and scare the shit out of me. (laughs) Like I'm I still have PTSD from my, my childhood. It's, (laughs) They're just like, you know, they like my mom a couple times, I think after having one too many to drink or whatever, was like, you know, I've got to tell you the truth, Sadie. Like, I'm really a psycho killer. And, you know, <laughs> she waits, I burst into tears and then start laughing. Like, That's I was a, a very, I, there's some good parenting. I mean, yeah, but it, it's kind of funny, but, you know, you did kind of the, my parents were like hard knocks and cheap entertainment, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, you know, you what you said earlier about uh, <clears throat> maybe it was just the 80s or, you know, bad parenting or whatever. But I think I think it all depends on the child, um, it, both the parents and the child. Like, for example, when I was, um, God, I must have been in fifth grade, maybe. It was either second grade or fifth grade it had been fifth grade. Cause it would have been too, too small in second. But, um, I was living with my grandmother in Chicago and it was Halloween. We went, uh, trigger treating and she used to take the, um, the pump plastic pumpkin and put it on top of the refrigerator where I couldn't get to it. And apparently I got old enough or that I was tall enough that I could pull the chair over to the fridge and get it off the top of the fridge. 
So she went down to the basement to go do laundry. I went to go get the candy. She forgot something, came back up and caught me. And she said, all right, well, if you're going to do that, I guess, you know, there's can't really keep it from you now. You can just go ahead and, you know, have as much as you want. And I did puke. I, I ate so much candy that I wanted to throw up. Um, I didn't, <laughs> but I wanted to. And that oh, really did tur- turn me off to sugary candies. Like I'm very sensitive to sugar now. So it's, it's not necessarily that it might be a bad idea. Cause I guess sometimes it works, but it's always like a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen. It could turn out the way it worked with me, or it could turn out the opposite way. And the, the kid's like, Oh, I love this stuff and never stop. <laughs> you know, it's right. It was the way though. I, I do think like, I mean, there's, there's something that I think kids these days, I mean, I was kind of, I, I tried to do a teeny bit of that with my son. Like kids these days are so um, soft. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like back in my day, you know, some stranger in the neighborhood would put us all in the back of a pickup truck and like, you know, drive us all to the beach and like purposely slam the pickup truck back and forth. So we'd all slide into each other. Like now, <laughs> now I remember I, I had my son and his friends in the car and one of the seatbelts were broken and the girl, we were going like up the street and the girl was having like a heart attack, <laughs> uh, you know, how are we like, is she sure I'm not going to kill her driving like, literally across the road without a safety belt. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, hasn't she seen Jurassic Park? Just take the two that don't fit and tie them in a knot. You know? <laughs> right. So your parents were, um, you said they were fans of scaring you, but were they fans of horror in general or just anything yeah. that would scare you? Uh, my mom was a big horror fan, you know? Um, I mean, she wasn't the, she wasn't like a convention horror fan, but like, that's what we mostly watched that in like old movies. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember watching, um, you know, we would watch like children in the attic, but we also watched lady in white. Do you remember lady in white? Yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah. Very creepy. So we kind of, we, we would go and just rent a shitload of movies at like video depot, which was before Blockbuster and like our little, you know, the guy would give me the movie posters off the wall. So, um, which was cool. And their horror section, I think was bigger than like any other section, even then. So it was like the new releases and then, you know, random horror stuff. And um, we also watched like little girl down the lane. So there were like kind of off brand horror that was like horror adjacent. Okay. Uh, before we started recording, you had mentioned the next door neighbor and that your mom, but you also said that your mom didn't want you watching horror movies cause it gave you nightmares. So what happened there? Uh, I don't know what the time frame was, but I think I was just having such severe nightmares. And I think it might have been in third grade after I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. You know, I would get up screaming in the middle of the night. I I did a lot of sleepwalking, which my son also did. I think that's like so, an So your mom was thing. giving you a, a, a temporary reprieve is what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then I would go over to my friend's house and her mom and her wanted to watch horror films. So... It would be, you know, they would kind of bully me into it. I'm still, I still know them and they, they're like always <laughs> making fun of me that I do horror films, like at least on social media. Cause I was the biggest chicken. 
Like, <laughs> what about Halloween? When you were a kid, did you participate in Halloween? So here's the big thing I'm leaving out is I, this is, I won't get too into it, but my mom was a non-practicing Jehovah's Witness, which is horrible. So at a certain age, I think around kindergarten, she decided not to celebrate any holidays anymore because she wanted to be a Jehovah's Witness, but didn't want to go through all the work of it. Mm -hmm. And so instead she was like, well, all the religion or all the holidays are pagan. So we're not going to, my mom was kind of like, let's not get into it. But, you know, she's like, we're not going to go to church or anything, but we're not going to celebrate these holidays anymore. Mm-hmm. So the thing was at that, that's why like the horror films were doubly scary because I wasn't supposed to watch them. Mm-hmm. And I was told that they would bring demons into the house so I did believe in demons then, but I didn't get to celebrate Halloween until I was an adult. Okay. You know, it's kind of funny. We, one of our questions that we like to ask is, were you ever terrified of anything in real life? And it sounds like damn near everything. <laughs> everything. I was, I was scared of everything like that. I mean, there was, I used to go to the boys and girls club. I'm giving away that I grew up relatively poor. Mm-hmm. We had, when I, my mom and dad were together, I was, we were very wealthy for a couple of years and then, you know, I was poor. I think being, I think being poor is much scarier because your parents aren't really involved or is around. Um, there's like real stuff going on in your neighborhood. Less just, there's do, less control. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're like doing things, you know, your parents are trying to get rid of you because they're mm-hmm. stressed out about life. Um, and you're at a school that has more like bullying and, violence i mean look i feel like a lot of that shit made me you know the the wonderful human Mm -hmm. (laughs) the wonderful complicated human that i am today um but my son's childhood while it being kind of crazy and intense wasn't the same way like he grew up in manhattan beach and Woodland hills and we lived in bel-air like he wasn't dealing with the same kind of like right you know terror of being bullied in grade school. Well, I was going to say that, you know, upper class schools, there are bullies there too, but you're right. The neighborhood is different and and that can, you know, bring different things into the equation too. Um, Right. So nothing in your younger years that you would classify like above all the rest, like actually terrified you in real life. I'm trying to think, I mean, I mean, my parents fought like crazy, so they were nutballs. You know, honestly, like, not, look, I I will mail you guys therapy money, but honestly, (laughs) like, my mom was kind of a nutter, and so whenever I play, I I have kind of a, a, a niche for playing characters that can go really unhinged you know like i have I thought you're gonna say like your mom <laughs> like my mom no i think of that my mom would kind of get the devil in her and um you know this is this is like back when they you know doctors would give out i guess they still do but i don't know them but would give out like my mom had back issues so they just give her like buckets of painkillers and we didn't know anything about that so now looking back i'm like oh my mom was fucked up on like painkillers and probably didn't know what she was doing most of the time but she would lose her mind and do these real rant raves and so whenever i play like a really crazy character i feel like i'm just like 
bringing that kind of, you know, fear. And I was just a, you know, I was a shaky mess as a kid. I had a lot of anxiety. So I probably lived on like the fear spectrum more than I lived on any other, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. thing, which is interesting, which is why, you know, it's funny. I do have a therapist and she said to me, she was, you know, that you're, she was, I find it very interesting. You do these horror films. She's like, it sounds like you're triggering yourself over and over. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> I'm like, I guess it's that way. She I mean, was like, but- cathartic in a way. Well, that's what I think too. Cause I do notice like during COVID there was a few times where I like mentally was like, I wish I could be on set and just lose my cookies. Mm-hmm. Like there is something really like, you know, I have a shoot coming up um, in less than two weeks and I'm like, you know, when I'm having like a, a feeling, I'm like, hold on to that bitch. It's coming. <laughs> like it, you can use that. So yeah, like I, there is a feeling, way, but I guess actors can use doing a scene or just acting in general, almost like, like getting a massage, you know, like your, your stress and emotional status needs a, uh, an, outlet an outlet or something. So yeah, yeah, I went on set today and I feel so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just called it a massage. I'd never thought of that. But there is a bit of like, I've been doing this long enough that people kind of trip out because, you know, I'm, I've am i learned to teach myself to be as, sub, you know, as suggestive of it as, I, you know, look, these, these, you know, indie films, we get like two takes. Like I don't take my, I don't really take like reviews too harshly. Cause I'm like, dude, we did a, we did a movie in 10 days. Like that's, that's not easy. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I, I've kind of got to the point where I'm like, you know, I just did this thing last week. I'm, you know, my husband died. It was, I'm running it over and over kind of like a groundhog's day. And so I'm sobbing and everything and the crew looks at me and then, you know, we're finally done with that scene. And I start making jokes and I'm like, you know, got snot down my face. And they're like, how'd you do that? Like, you know, how are you okay? I said, well, I feel great right now. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I go, I'm like, yeah, I said, I feel great. I'm still like shaky and recovering, (laughs) but like, you know, I also, I know I'm going to have lunch, so I'm not like completely putting myself back together, but there is a bit of like, catharsis for sure yeah that's not uncommon um and not not even just um how can i say this it's true of a lot of different kinds of trauma too like for example i i know it's fairly well known that it happens in sexual trauma that a lot of people who are sexually abused will then participate willingly in that same scenario because they're able to say but i have control over it now and that the element of control is is the thing that they're craving and needing at that moment. Um, so I can see that poss- possibly playing into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, do you think there's been any other ways uh, in your life that it's bled into in terms of how it's changed your behavior? Um, I will say this, and it's interesting because um, a lot of people have seen me naked. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's something that you're like. It, it it is funny because in some ways it makes me a 
a bolder person, like a more, like I have to, you know, when you do nudity in these it's films. It's both literal and fit and uh, uh, metaphorical nudity. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. Like, I mean, yeah. So on top of it, like, do I feel stranger that people have seen me completely lose my shit on camera? Like, in a messy way, either being very um, violent, mm. being very sexual, being, you know, begging. Like, you've literally seen me in the worst, like, if you want to use the term BDSM, there's there's some element of that mm. that, you know, a lot of strangers have seen. So they know something about me that normally... Um, I, we do live in a time where everyone's half naked on Instagram. So I do think it's a little bit more of like, if somebody says like, I saw you in wrong turn, I'm like, they've literally seen me be a psychopath and, you know, be this really crazy thing or, you know, bus party to hell. I'm like, that's, you know, I'm pretty crazy in that. So it's kind of changed the way I live with myself, with other people. Like I have to kind of lead a little more outgoing, whereas like, or a little more aggressive sometimes, or, or maybe like I'm the girl who walks in the room and says, what's up motherfuckers. <laughs> but like, I, sometimes I'm like, how much is that? Like my, my, you know, hubby or fiance or whatever. will say that that's like a Sadie stick stick a little bit, hmm. um, it, which I'm not totally aware of. Maybe yeah. to put it into different words, your aggressiveness might be a bit of overcompensation. Yeah, or or just being. And I like, don't mean okay. that in a bad way. I just mean you know as an observational <laughs> static. Yeah, I think maybe a little bit. I mean, it could be a little embarrassing at times. Like I'm super proud of. Look, if I always say this to people, like you know the the people who are ridiculous to go. You know, I really think you're going to get that Oscar one day. Don't ever stop. And I'm like, you know, keep believing in your dreams. I'm like. Well, I'm actually living my dream right now. Right? Like, like what's bad like, about right now? <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, you sell tires. Do you have to be the number one, you know, the top 1% tire salesperson in the world? Yes, or some people do. You like, 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 I, that would be nice, but like, you know, there's also a lot you give up. And like, I raised a kid and I, so I get to do what I, I really dream of doing. So there is a thing of like, if I would have gone back and said, Sadie, you know, a 10 year old me or 15 year old or whatever, and said, Sadie, you're going to be like a lead in this, this one film. And I've been a lead in a bunch of films at the, you know, you're going to go to Redbox or, you know, a video store and you're going to be on the shelf or, or a Best Buy or whatever. Like that's tremendously fulfilling, but it, there's times it's also really fucking embarrassing. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and there's also times you're driving home. I'm like, dude, I just like, like pretended to be raped for hours and cried and then had like, you know, was choked to death. Like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. Um, you had mentioned that um, you became more of a Jehovah's Witness in your teenage years. So did you have any exposure to horror in your teenage years? Well, um, yes. Sometimes I would sneak stuff. Um, <laughs> I was a huge Buffy fan. Okay. So I did not give a fuck. Like I lived for Buffy. I would call that horror, but it's horror adjacent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
as a Jehovah's Witness, like they, this is like so crazy. I always trip out on this. It's the same kind of thing. Jehovah's Witnesses believe, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness anymore, obviously, but they believe that like demons can attach themselves to objects. And so if you went to like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are big on like going door to door, to door and going to yard sales. So, and this is what, trips me the fuck out so you would go to a yard sale with other jehovah's witnesses adults mind you and you would like pick up like oh i'm gonna buy this cool you know lamp and you would say like jehovah jehovah like say god's name jehovah three times to make sure that there's not a demon in the lamp <laughs> now i'm an adult I now i've never heard this before but that's it's it's insane. Yeah. So I was in it till I was 23. And then when I left, I thought, well, if somebody told you there's even a 10% chance if you bring home this junky lamp from a garage sale that it might come back with demons, would you even risk it? No. Like it's yeah. so, no. You like I'm just wondering this whole time, what's the efficacy of the yeah, chanting right? of Jehovah on this item? Is it guaranteed that you won't bring home a demon? Because if not, I don't think it's like worth 95% success rate. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I think of that stuff now and I'm like, there was, I, you know, was very well known because I was a performer even then, Jehovah's Witness. So I would go and do these speeches and stuff and I knew all these wonderful adults that really helped be better parents to me on a level. I'm grateful that they were there. But at another level, these were also like elders who got up in front of our kingdom hall. Our church was called Kingdom Hall yep. and talked about like, you know, to be careful of Smurfs because Smurfs means little demons and that there was a well-known Jehovah's Witness story that um, a demon like one of the Smurfs that a little kid brought a, a toy to the kingdom hall and the Smurf toy got up and ran down the aisle of the kingdom hall. Like that is fucking crazy that an adult told people and, a, and other adults were there. Um, I guess Catholics are like that, but I just trip out about that of like, for real, we were all like, that was one thing leaving being a Jehovah's Witness. Like I was, grew up afraid of demons because everyone around me was like demons, you know, are just waiting. If you watch a horror movie, demons can come in through the horror film. Mm. Like you're inviting demons into your life. You get drunk. That's inviting demons into your life. You do drugs, demons. You go to a yard sale, demons. <laughs> you see Santa Claus, demons. Like. There's demons. Do you see why I was so scared? Yeah. So funny. yeah it all makes perfect sense now. <laughs> but but you made an exception for Buffy. For Buffy. I mean, Buffy and Angel. Like, like I miss, I used to lie and say I was sick because, like, Buffy, the premiere would come on. And, like, <laughs> you know, you didn't want to, like, record over your, your stuff you already had that you didn't catch up. I think at the time it was, like, Dawson's Creek. And I, I know I'm just aging. I have a 20-year-old, so mm. that would make me, unfortunately, 43. But, um, I, you know, God damn it. Um, <laughs> so what, I, what, I don't lie about my age, yeah. <laughs> what did you like about uh, Buffy and Angel enough to uh, to make an exception for them? Oh, fuck. I mean, 
I know Joss Whedon has been quote unquote canceled. I'm like, I don't know if we should cancel him. <laughs> like, I don't like he's a genius. Of course. Like I had acting teachers that were, I shouldn't speak about this, but whatever. I'm like, that guy was a fucking great writer. Do you know he was not Buffy the Vampire Slayer was nominated for a writing Emmy. And I remember watching the Emmys and a couple people laughed in the audience because obviously they didn't watch. And it was like, it was like it out of place with the other nominees that were like, you know, whatever was Grey's Anatomy or whatever was fucking, right. you know, considered a good show then that would not be considered good now or no one gives a shit really. But, um, Buffy, the writing was like, you had this balance of like really caring to me. I think it even holds up of like humor, but also you had real fear. And, you know, one thing that they did then that a lot of shows miss the mark now, like, I want to pause you, you remember for a minute. That? I, I want to pause you for a minute because it, it, I find it interesting that all the things that you're saying are pros for Buffy all come from, uh, your performance side, your, your appreciation for it as, um, as an artist rather than as a fan, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm yeah. guessing by this point you were already, um, into performing or it, are you just yeah. looking back on it now as a performer and, and adjust and, you know, focusing on those elements? Yeah. I was always an actress. Like, you know, I was the kid at four. That's why I don't think my parents took me that seriously. It wasn't. When did you start acting? Well, I mean, at four years old, I was like, I want to be an actress. And I was, you know, an interesting kid. I, uh, (laughs) I, I would like watch wizard of Oz and like, this is embarrassing, but I was four, like always like try to bang my head or like, I always thought I would wake up. I wanted to go to Oz. And then, um, I did my first, like, this is when the eighties didn't require much talent. So remember we had talent shows, but they were like lip sync contests. So like, Kids would just stand there and mouth the words. Now we have like American Idol and I guess we had Star Search, but most kids like they would do lip sync. So I was involved yeah, in that. I thought you were doing some self-deprecating humor. The 80s didn't require much talent, so I was perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, I well, I was well, no, my my deprecate, you're right. My my self-deprecating humor would say that I wanted it so badly that like, you know, I I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but um, it's so funny. So I remember I had, like, I wanted it so badly to be good for me, you know, more than anyone else. And I remember I was doing like a talent show in fourth grade and I was going to do Where's the Party? And I had on like these hot pink, you know, biker shorts and like a sparkly top and um, right before I went on stage, I peed my pants a little bit. So then like I had to pour water all over. So I just came out wet. So uh, like I was so nervous. I was so scared. So I wasn't very good for a long time. And then I, I did theater and, you know, you rehearse enough that you, you get over that fear. But yeah, like I, I just want, I always was an actress and like, I used to, I used to enjoy scaring myself and then looking in the bathroom mirror and like 
trying to get myself to cry. And, you know, at that age, you're like crying and you watch yourself. You're like, I feel so sorry for me. And you're like slurping up your snot. And you're just, you know, I, I used to play um, this game in the neighborhood with a bunch of kids that we called Adventures. And we would set up like very scary scenarios or like, you know, Star Wars. We play Star Wars and they'd be like, Sadie, you have to cry right here. So I would like pinch myself or try to think of the saddest thing. So, like, that was, yeah, it was a pretty big part of my life, I guess, actually. Hmm. When you mentioned that thing about uh, scaring yourself and looking in the mirror, how old were you there? Also four? Six? Ten? Uh, Forty? When did you start? Yeah, I do that now. When did I start? Shit. I think I was always, like, I don't know, four? Like, I think I was always kind of, I mean, I was probably dealing with, the shit that was happening in my house and like making it the same thing, like kind of the same idea of like triggering myself to have some control of it. Or um, I don't know, putting that into terms, but yeah, I mean, look, I would always watch TV and be like, I never thought about being famous. Like that wasn't, I mean, you know, I didn't grow up with like, the idea of like we saw celebrities. So if you didn't want to be famous, what what was the the attraction to being an actress? I wanted to act like I wanted that more than anything. I liked like playing pretend was high level, high stakes for me, you know? Um, So it just was something like escapism, uh, you know, getting in somebody's skin, uh, like, cause I used to do theater where you lose yourself for just a minute really fun it really is like let's go back to buffy for a second setting aside the things that you liked about it as a performer or as an artist what what um like what emotional triggers or impacts did it spark in you in terms of as being a fan of it god i really loved like spike and her so i think for me like the whole her like dynamic and having a group of friends for me at the time, like friends that would stick by your side, that was really important to me. Um, I really like who did who didn't want to go to like a high school that that like I, I mean I think at the time I kind of liked the ideal too that like her bullies didn't know what she was really going through. Mm. It's like you know I mean obviously I was dealing with with some of that, but I, my, my son's dad, who I married very young, that was our show we watched. Mm -hmm. So that was like our big thing that we had in common. And, and I mean, as a fan, like there was a lot of stuff that were first, like the show had the first lesbian kiss on TV. It was, I think the first musical episode, like fully musical episode. It also did a silent episode, um, hush, which was, I think one of the first series to broach that. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't think I've had quite the same, you know, I've liked like the Sopranos and breaking bad, but you couldn't binge watch stuff at the time too. So shows like, they spent a lot of time. I I think the the other show that had as big as of an impact on me was like Sex in the City. What was so big about Sex in the City? Well, I think because I was single and 
you know, I wasn't in New York, but I was in LA and I didn't really learn how to date because this is a Jehovah's Witness, you don't date. So then I was divorced and that was like my show that taught me about dating. Mm-hmm. For good or for bad, right. but yeah, <laughs> dating's its own horror story in LA. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Okay. Um, <laughs> other than these two, um, well, actually, you had already you mentioned Sex in the City uh, after post divorce, so I'm guessing that came in adult years. Um, yeah going back to teenage years. So other than Buffy, the vampire killer, any other shows or movies that you made an exception for? Uh, oh gosh. Um, if not, that's fine. I'm I just mean, asking. I, well, no, I, I mean, I, I definitely watched stuff like interview with the vampire and, you know, I still watch like, I, I, you know, I was also like, a, I would read the Anne Rice books. You know, I, I snuck stuff. Um, I remember watching Blair Witch. And at the time we all thought it was real. And I remember being really scared in the movie theater. I also saw scream and uh, I got so afraid in, in it that I threw up. I just puked really? no alcohol in the theater. I puked during two movies What was the other in one? the movie theater. Titanic. Ti- What's Titanic? the old people got? <laughs> I was in like the, you know, the huge theater that's like, you know, the screens like whatever IMAX. it's called. IMAX. And we're in the front row and the old people are in the bed, you know, and they're in the waters going around them. And I've been silently crying for so long that I just puked. And like, you know, they brought me, my friends like brought me out. They went back, they cleaned it up. People were still watching the movie. And then I like watched it from the back, but like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself together. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm revealing like what a nutbag. I, I'm very, yeah, like, I'd say that's uh, I quite normal. I mean, Titanic was based off real life events. So, you know, it was real horror and tragedy. Yes, I feel like that scene to me when they like decide fuck it that they're just gonna go down together. Like, yeah, that that was a big deal. But scream to me, are you fucking kidding me? That movie is scary. The only thing that I would say is like that kind of for whatever it was that scared the shit out of me. And I think this came out obviously, I was an adult, but American Horror Story, the circus years. Forget about it. That shows that was scary. That was a whole other level. But um, oh, it was very scary to me. I loved it. I, Stephen King's it, the the original, and also um, oh gosh, Storm of the Century, so good. Did you guys see that? Think so. Uh, no, I did not see that one. I know which one you're. They talking need about. to redo it. I want to go back to to scream for a minute. You mentioned that there was a scene uh, that scared you so much that you puked, but you, I, you didn't specify what the scene was or, or what it, about it scared you. Okay, so the one in the movie theater was that may have been that was part two, I think. Okay, and she's in the movie theater and she goes to the bathroom. It was a very pretty black actress. I can't remember her name, okay. but she did a great job. So she goes to the bathroom and. What happens? Does she put her ear to the door? Like I used to have such a thing for amongst the many things that terrified me, a public bathroom with, with 
no one in it. To me, like I would look under the stalls to look for, you know, feet, shoes. I'll still do that now. Um, fuck that. But, you know, and then if you hear someone walking in and like, yeah. But I think she puts her ear to the door in the bathroom and they stab her in the ear and it bleeds. And like watching a scary movie to me at the theater is already scary because you're in the dark and you don't know who's behind you. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I just, that was like the thing that was too much for me. I think it's at the beginning of the movie too. So. What the <laughs> What's your scare of uh, public bathrooms? God, because there's nowhere to go. And yeah. I mean, I don't know how, like, are you kidding me? If I go into a bathroom and there's 15 stalls and no one's in it, like an airport bathroom or a movie bathroom, theater bathroom, like fuck off. I can hold it forever. Nope. I don't even like, like, yeah, that's a hard nope. That's a no. It's, it's funny like, that no, you're, you're you. more scared of one that's empty than one of people with people in it, because at least with nobody in it, you would think like your, if your fear is that you have nowhere to go, well, if there's nobody in there, then you shouldn't have anything to be afraid of. It's one. No, because you got to. My pants are going to be down and I'm going to hear step, step, step. And then I'm going to look under and it's going to be fucking boots or something. And yeah, they're going to the have dirt the on them. Like so, if there's someone yes. in there, you know who's in the bathroom. But if you, if it's empty, who knows what's going to walk in next? It could be a werewolf. It could be a xenomorph. You know, it's, it yeah. could be Michael it's Myers. It's a fucking killer. Yeah, Dropping it's going to be a floor, killer. You know? What the fuck? Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> like it's not... Also, like if you're in there and there's one person in there and the person leaves or the worst is you're like, okay, fine. There's two people in there, but the person stays in a long time, which I always, (laughs) I've been in bathrooms where I'm like, that's a guy next to me jerking off because like the tennis shoes or something. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I start pretending like I'm talking to someone else. This is me as an adult, guys. Like yeah. this is like this is me making sure. Like I don't take a lot of chances in my real life. Like I've had like you know I live in L.A. Homeless people follow me, and I've been like it's you know when I used to cocktail waitress a billion years Have ago. Have people around but, you ever used the word neurotic? Neurotic, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I can be incredibly not neurotic. Uh, my my guy is Jewish, so I say he's more neurotic. I'm more neurotic under, I mean, Jesus Christ, COVID to me was so scary with these masks. I was like, I have no idea why people are not terrified of like not seeing everyone's full face. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in in. LA, everyone's got Botox, so you just got like frozen. <laughs> right? Faces. Like it's it's a safety precaution and a blessing. I don't have to do the lip job. <laughs> but their face isn't moving. So you're just seeing like a girl with crazy eyebrows and these <laughs> fake eyelashes just staring at you with no expression. I'm like, I hadn't thought get about the that, but fuck yeah. out of here. It's so scary. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very like, angry right now. I can't tell. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you look fucking scary. I don't, I don't understand why more. Like, the world can be a very scary place. So I think I can be brave with some things, but yeah, neurotic would be, you know, I come from so, a fear-based place. Some of the things that we've discussed, uh, 
I'm guessing some of these, you know, moved down into the adult section. You mentioned that you were uh, a witness until 23, um, but you had been performing as a a Jehovah. Um, So what happened there? How did that, how did, how was that even possible? First of all, when I say, so I did, I did uh, plays in school, you know, I did like Grease, West Side Story. I, I wrote a play that I performed. I also was, um, I would do uh, dr- dramatic interpret things and, you know, I varsity and won a bunch of awards. So I did that, okay. but through my church, we would have conventions and, you know, I would put on like little Bible skits. So I wouldn't call them acting per se. Um, but you know, it was still like performance based. Okay. And then, um, you know, and then I took once, in high school, I took acting classes, but then in college is when um, I used to skip around to a lot of junior colleges and they actually had great acting coaches. And, you know, this is like, I had acting coaches that were like crazy people, like guru acting teachers who, you know, would really like, like, you know, scream at you if you, you didn't know what you were doing. And you know, the whole, I don't know if you've ever seen like Barry, the HBO show Barry of, you know, you get these acting teachers that take it very serious. and Like the Gordon you know. Ramsay of acting coaches. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's dying more and more. There's a few of them in LA, but because mm. um, kids can't handle it now. Like, I mean, it's kind of counterproductive too. Like I get the whole passion behind the project thing, but if 75% or more of your coaching, I'm using air quotes, is screaming at someone and just traumatizing them. I think you're doing it wrong. So you had mentioned, uh, college acting coaches. Um, and when we were talking about being 23 and, and coming out of being a witness, I'm, did that happen when you're in college, just after college? Like what was the transition oh, there? Oh gosh. So I got married at 19 and then I, after I had my son Griffin, I. Uh, early 23 by the time he was nine months Mm. i was like you know i was like i saw the light i'm not raising my son like this i'm out of here so uh shortly thereafter well i got divorced and then um moved to la to pursue acting like Mm. about a year later okay which was um you know, which was when I started taking classes. And actually, that's not true. I was taking classes before um, and doing plays before, even though as a Jehovah's Witness, that's like a gray zone. But yeah. it was like literally the only thing that I just absolutely loved. Okay. And um, yeah. So I want to be careful here because we kind of touched on this earlier about there being a difference between what you're a fan of in terms of it triggering your own emotions versus what you're a fan of in terms of as an actress and being a fan of their work. Um, Focusing on your adult years now, what are some of the things that you're a fan of in the sense of it really triggered those emotions and you're a fan of it because you're a fan, not just because of the work side of it? Oh yeah. Um, You know, I just saw the dark and the wicked Okay. I don't know if you saw that. That actress. Oh, God, I just did it. Oh, my God. Oh, God. What? Sorry. What an asshole I am. I was about to talk about her acting. So I'll <laughs> say oh, that's hilarious. I was like, that actress was really. I mean, that's I mean, there is a thing of that is like 
I was actually very scared, but it is true. I kind of, oh God, that's so funny. I didn't, I haven't really thought of it. Like my son hates to watch shows with me and, and anyone, because you break really. it down. I break it down. I'm like, I'm like, pause it, pause it. We have to talk about this. I do like, the Could same thing. People watch hate it? watching movies with me for the same reason. Like, can you shut I, up? No, but I, I know this actor it. from this other movie. <laughs> ruining it. Yeah, I do. Like, I'm at the drive-in, and I'm like, I'm like, wow. Do you see what she's doing? Instead of crying and screaming, she's silent. Right. Like she's in shock. And yeah, it's and and to be fair, it's not that I'm not saying that there aren't good reasons to be into movies for those reasons. It's just that the theme of this call, we're trying to get to the the heart of what makes you the fan on the emotional side, not the work side. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll tell you, like, uh, true crime shows, like, that's scary to me. I'm not thinking about acting because they're not acting. I mean, like, these, these, you know, horrible shows that I don't know why people like watching it. And it's actually what Miles is, my my fiancé is a showrunner for. He just did um, Alaska, The Final Frontier, and it's like a show about people being brutally murdered and they're interviewing people and you see pictures and stuff, like... Like those to me are scary. Like, you know, I do think it's like American Horror Story. I watching like the first one and the clown one. I didn't think anything about acting. I thought those shows were very scary. Like even the beginning intro for American Horror Story to me gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's just like, ah. Uh, scary stuff. That season was kind of loosely based on real life, too. It was uh, based in Jupiter, Florida, or set in Jupiter, Florida. And I don't know that that's out in Jupiter, but we have another city around here called Gibsonton, which is big on carnival freaks. Yeah, I just that and like, I really anything with like the Mansons or like true. I mean, even if it's like based on it, mm-hmm. I do tend to get like. You know, there's a certain ick factor. Like, I don't even know on some level how fair it is to do those. It's like glamorizing. Yeah. I mean, I've watched them, but it's a gray area. Like, there's something, you know, you still have family members. Yeah. So it sounds, it sounds kind of like you're going into something which we've heard on some of our other calls, which is as, as you've become an adult now, the things that seem to scare you are the things that are real life. Um, mm-hmm. which yeah. as I say, that's, that's not uncommon at all. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, are people scared of monsters? Like, I guess some people are fans, but are they scared of them? Well, what I mean is I'll give you an example. There was, uh, somebody that we spoke to, um, you know, one of the first, actually, before I even talk about that, let me ask you the questions first to see what your answers are. Uh, we even jump back to childhood. Did, did you have any, um, any recurring nightmares in childhood? Yes, I did. Do you remember what they were about? Uh, yeah. Well, one, it's funny. And I don't know if it's because of Bozo, but I used to have this recurring nightmare that I was at an orphanage and Ronald McDonald was there, um, like giving like there during lunch. And we were sitting outside this very gray building, mm-hmm. um, and like for some reason when I'd have huge anxiety, 
I would dream that. I also frequently had like, you know, like you're running from something, but you don't know what you're running from. Mm -hmm. But that dream, I, I go through phases, but as a kid, fuck. Yeah. I, I had nightmares constantly. Any recurring dreams in your teenage years? Yeah, I think I continue to have different ones. You know, my my nightmares now that I have are either very brutal or I, this is so funny, but I do have the reoccurring um, actor's nightmare that I show up and I'm supposed to be on stage and I don't know my lines (laughs) and it's a Shakespeare, it's like a Shakespeare play and I'm going, I can't fake it, like what the fuck, and I'm looking for my script everywhere and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to go on stage, that's like a real, I've heard directors have a reoccurring nightmare of losing their script with their notes, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Out of curiosity on the, um, the forgetting your script one, have you seen the movie Starry Eyes? oh no there's a really great scene in there that does just the best visual representation of that the woman's having a nightmare she's an aspiring actress and she's interviewing for a role and she keeps looking down at the script and each time she looks down more and more words have disappeared from the (gasps) script until she looks down and it's just completely blank and she can't remember any of her lines what is this okay i have to see that what is it starry eyes Wow, I love that. So to go back to answer the question you asked a few minutes ago, you were asking whether or not there are people who, you know, in their adult years were scared of things that weren't related to real life stuff. The answer is yes, but it usually ties back to things that have been reoccurring themes in their life. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. I like I'll tell you one thing I knock on wood. I very, very rarely um, dream about my son. And there's been times where I've dreamt about him. And I've actually like woken myself up um, or woke woke myself up. Sorry. Uh, Because I don't want to experience any loss. Mm. Like I don't want to, I don't want to go through that. So I have like kind of cut myself off from certain things that I think naturally I've, I've like told my brain, you're not going to go through, you know, Mm. two questions I want to ask. Well, towards the end of the, the interview here, we ask a couple questions that are not just, uh, based on any time frame but your life overall. And the first two questions I want to ask, I'm going to give them to you at the same time because the answer could be the same for both questions or it could be different. And that is what would you say is your favorite movie? And what is your movie that you would say you've probably seen more times than any other? Oh God, you guys are going to hate me so much. I'm sorry. Moulin Rouge. Which one is your favorite or the one you've seen most often? Uh, I've seen it a fucking lot. Yeah. Um, why am I such a cheese ball? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I wish I was cooler. Um, no, no. Just like yeah. you said, you know, it's not necessarily a horror related question. It's a generic. What have you seen the most times and what's your favorite movie? And we've talked to, you know, anyone from actors, directors, to special effects, makeups, people that make the most horrific shit. Uh, and, and they say things like Mary Poppins. So right. no uh, judgment. Well, I mean, look at. So, I mean, from that viewpoint, like. I'm a Libra. I'm a huge romantic. Like I'm like, I, I'm a sucker for romance and, and cheesy music. And to me, that, that movie is that, and it's about someone who's 
willing to die for the stage. You know, I'm not even, a, you know, she's, she's gives up everything that she, she gives up love. She gives up her health, everything for her career, which, so, I mean, not to sound way too important, but I can relate to that right. burning desire. And I just, and that movie to me is about escaping. And, um, you know, I've seen Black Swan a lot. I went through a black swan phase in my life. Um, same thing, you know, that that's like a very primal fear of losing yourself in a part. Mm -hmm. You know, I do have interests outside of acting. I know I sound <laughs> the most boring. I sound like that actress where you're like, so what are your interests? Acting and <laughs> voice classes. You know, I, I do really have other, other things. Um, no, you know. well, I've also seen the movie Chef a bunch of times because I'm a foodie and okay. <laughs> I'll be runner up. But, yeah, what are now I need to know what what movies did you guys say? Oh, for our interviews? Favorite movie for me? I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure because it's not really like a corny or a bad movie or anything. It's just it's one of my all time favorites is uh, Wolf Creek 2, the sequel, because I like slashers and asshole Australians and it's got both. <laughs> I don't remember what oh, I said wait. for my favorite, but the one that I said for, that I've seen most often was Monty Python Search for the Holy Grail. Yeah. And oh, the God, reason you're such a boy. You're such a boy. <laughs> so I don't feel like you're I, I don't know a single man I've ever dated who's not like that's so great. And they're they want to convince me. Well, the reason like, the reason I, that we ask I'm these two questions. The reason that we ask these two questions is because it could under, underscore either either it underscores something you've already said in the interview or highlights something that we haven't talked about yet. And for example, if you had said Monty Python search for the Holy Grail, that would have been a topic of humor that hasn't come up in the interview yet. So then we could have pivoted <sighs> and talked about that and said, okay, what what is it there that that you find? In your case, where you're talking about Moulin Rouge, obviously there are a couple things there that you've found that are interesting to you that we've already talked about. So it's not, yeah. it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a, a question to ask that you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see any common threads about I'm, what? Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I know your, your question. I have a great answer, but please ask it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical. Okay, my favorite horror, and I don't know why I like these movies so much, is I actually fucking love when, like, a room full of people wake up and there's some rich guy and he's like, and you don't know, like, they're all around a table. They don't know how they got there. Like, you know, truth or dare or something. And oh, there's this rich guy. I know this like, one. You have to cut off the arm. Yep. Would you rather? I love those movies. Yes, would you rather? I think there's something fun. I like Okay, I'm annoying, like I already said, and I like <laughs> movies where you're like figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, the the goth girl is actually really the good girl, or what would I do in that situation? I actually do lose myself a little at those movies, more mm -hmm. less about acting and more like, what would I do? And I love those movies. I think they're they're popcorn fun. And I don't know if you consider these horror films, but my son and I go watch them all. Um, speaking of from earlier when we talked about families watching movies is um, The Purge. Okay. I love The Purge. There's nothing better than The Purge to me as far as just being a fun movie that you're kind of like, I have a lot of fun with them. 
I liked them all. It's a, the most recent one, probably my least favorite, but they're still all good. So you, sure. So you kind of yeah. said that the question that comes out of this is, what would you do? And you really enjoy that question. Why do you enjoy that question? I'm like the type of person that I want to say to you, like, for for $500,000 cash, would you cut off your big toe? Oh, okay. Like, like one day I got to do that. Like, you know, I want to do that. Like, what will you do? Like, how much? I used to do this as a kid. Like, how much are you willing to do to get what you want? And I th- think that there's something like fucking uh, self, like there's something self, if you want to say self-deprecating of like, what do you really value of your your own integrity? And also like, you know, someone will say like, would you cut off your hand for $5 million? And you could say like, fuck no. And what if it wasn't going to be painful? Well, for $5 million, you could like open a hospital and like, you know, you New Guinea or something like you could save all these lives. I think it's a mind fuck. It's kind of interesting. Do I get to choose which hand? Uh, Well, you're a man, so I'm assuming one hand is more important to you than the other. That may or may not be related to the question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you don't get to choose. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to guess you're a lefty. Are you a lefty? <laughs> no, not a southpaw. I, I am righty. Ah, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So the the next question then is why horror? Because couldn't you find – so your your question there is what do you value? Mm-hmm. And don't can't you find that in other movie genres? Like, for example, even rom-coms can put a – uh, a couple into a position where choices have to be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of life for me has been a lot of like life or death situations. And mm-hmm. like the one thing about, about horror is, you know, everyone, you either live or you die in the mm-hmm. horror film, but you're right. Like, I mean, my best friend's wedding, I cried ridiculously over that movie because to me, I really felt for, the loss of, of her not getting to be with who she loves and having to do the right thing. Like, I think that's, I haven't watched it in years, but like, I remember that meaning something to me. Uh, you know, I, I, with the exception of like a really big comedy, there's some high stakes and a lot of, like a lot of films now are really fucking good. Like they're mm. great. You know, I, I, a lot of TV is, I think even better than, live films right now yeah well you mentioned high stakes which you're right that is probably um the biggest thing in horror compared to those other genres well i don't know i mean like you said my best friend's wedding what are the stakes there you know having a potentially having having a happy you know crap i'm losing my words you know happily forever after uh versus not i mean yeah, that's not the same as life and death, but and those are kind of big stakes. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was younger, I had such a different view of love. Um, in like, you, you know, well, I, 
I guess you're in relationships. Like I had a different view of like that, like maddening love that, you know, your stakes are, are forever high. And I think now being like, you know, I'm older and I've, I realize like those relationships that you, that you kind of fall in head first and they feel, you know, they feel so big, um, you know, tend to not be the best relationship like that tends to go away and you're like fuck I didn't know this person like I've had those things where I'm like you know you're like singing to each other and it's like you against the world and you know I'm like doing I'm I'm making choices in my life that's kind of ridiculous like oh we're gonna move into this big house together and you know we're I'm declaring my love to everyone who can hear like to, i'm a to put little it into different. technical or to put it into like technical terms codependent relationships versus interdependent relationships oh my god it's like you know me um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're you know i i had a, a few i've had a couple of different people i met where i just like was you know down the rabbit hole how do you think i got into counseling I know you're pretty good. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, my therapist, God damn it. She, um, she like basically dumped me to go have a baby and I've been waiting for her to come back. I was like, how dare you have a life? <laughs> I thought bitch. it was really, I, that bitch. I, I cried so much. I was so embarrassed on her zoom. Cause I, I was like, gonna miss her so much and I I'm like I know that this is unhealthy that I'm not like you're this is just your job but you're gonna miss me a little bit damn it right (laughs) (laughs) that that bitch (laughs) so yeah considering the theme of the podcast is there anything relevant that you're aware of that we haven't talked about um god I I think you're it's such an interesting topic of like how horror relates to your childhood and psyche. Um, I I would be interested. I don't have the answer to this. Maybe you guys do, but like people who had really, I mean, would you say like the true, if you go to like a horror convention, there's a certain look everyone has. I don't actually fit into that look, but you know, um, do people with really normal childhoods and normal lives, are they as crazy over, or do you go into like the normal person's, like, you know, your, your insane horror um, addict who's got like all the figurines and like a thousand movies. Did they have a normal childhood or is there something they're trying to like reconcile? Yeah. I mean, this day and age, it takes all kinds, but um, it, I always liken everything to movies cause I'm stupid like that. But um the question just makes me think of a character in the movie SLC Punk. And that is, ah, shit, I think his name was Mike, the guy that Jason Siegel played. Of all the punks in the movie, you know, the one with the green Liberty spikes, Matthew Lillard's three foot tall blue mohawk, Mike was actually the most hardcore one. And he had like a dorky parted hairstyle with glasses and suspenders. Like, Looked very normal and nerdy, but he was very hardcore. So I don't know. You could go that direction with it. Like the people who look normal can potentially also be the the biggest freaks in private moments. Or 
again, this day and age, it takes all kinds. I mean, well, you could have your person. I think the question has, that she's asking is the same question that is the reason that we're doing this show for is, you know, we've only got, you know, now 45 people that we've talked to. And we're hoping that the, the more people we talk to, the more numbers we'll get. You have more data points. You can make better, uh, you know, assessments of that kind of thing. But I would, yeah. I would say that there are people that we've talked to that yes, have had really tough childhoods and things have come out of that. But then there are other people that we've talked to that maybe didn't have necessarily a a weird childhood, but have found something in horror that they really appreciated. Um, Mm -hmm. I like myself. I don't even really consider myself a horror fan. I'm more of a psychology buff, but there are things about horror that I do like, which came out as a result of the things that I learned about psychology and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there are people I think out there who, as as maybe what Sadie is trying to get at is who are might might be considered more quote unquote normal who are also fans of horror, but that's that's okay. part of the whole reason that we're doing the show is to try to dig up all this stuff and, and answer those kinds of questions. Well, so as a therapist, <laughs> would you say it's good for like how would if I said to you, do you think I should keep doing horror films when I had, like, is it good for me as a actor? Well, to be first off, I want to say I'm not a therapist. I probably should have said that at the start of the call. Um, right. I, I'm not, I'm not, how can I say this? Um, I've, I am not a rapper. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not qualified in that sense. I've, I've gone through years of counseling myself. I've gone through years of therapy. 15 years in a 12 step program. I've, I've written a book about the things that I've learned. I've always had an appreciation for psychology stuff going all the way back to my early childhood. Um, and I've always just been really aware of observing people and trying to understand why they do the things that they do. Um, and to answer the question that you asked though, is, you know, should I keep doing this? I think the answer a therapist would probably give is along the lines of what they talk about being adaptive or maladaptive behaviors. Maladaptive refers to when you take a coping mechanism that you've learned in some part of your, your uh, childhood and you improperly apply that behavior or that coping mechanism to a situation that it doesn't work in. And when you uh, take this coping mechanism and do that, uh, put to a situation that it doesn't work in, you have two choices at that point. You either have to say, okay, I need to learn a new coping mechanism for this situation. Or if you're unable to do that, then you just keep hit, you know, hammering at this situation with the same old behavior, but it's not working. And that's the situation that I think a lot of people end up going to counseling to help with that situation of I'm doing this. It's not working. Why not help me figure it out? And so if you're asking, should I keep doing this? Then the question is, is it working for you? Is it bad for you? Like those are really the questions that you have to ask and then figure out, is this good for me? Is it bad for me? And what are my other options? Is this, if it is bad for me, what are my other options? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's part of my, you know, I, I, whenever I'm like, Oh, I should take a break from horror. I think a lot of times I'm like, I just, like the thing I'm doing right now is I can't wait to do it. I, I'm sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do cheesy horror. I want to do something gritty. And that's more of like a desire to tell deeper, more complex stories, even if it's on something lower budget. But yeah, I, you're right. How do I replace 
that. I don't know. It would be nice. Like, look, I would love to do a rom-com. Like, those are harder to book, um, you know, as a lead Mm. or something because they they need, like, people with that kind of resume. But, yeah. They want known names. It would be hard to replace that. Yeah, yeah. They want, like, known, you know, comedies are hard to sell. Mm. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll bring Definitely. in one of my, my favorite authors, Joseph Campbell, which people who've been listening to this call have heard a thousand times now, <laughs> but um, he talks about, um, I don't want to use the word comparative religion because he didn't really comparative religion is often about taking different religions and saying, here, here are the things that make them different. What he did is the opposite. He said, these, there's these religions all over the world throughout time that have these same common elements. What made them the same? And if we can, and and he thought that there must be something common about what it means to be human and live the human experience that all of these things must, must touch on. And if we can learn what those things are, then maybe we can learn how to address them better and be, and have a better experience of being human. And I think that might apply to what you were asking about in terms of, should I keep doing this? Is that if you can dig up the things that were important to you and address those, then you can probably still continue doing the horror stuff in a way that, how can I say this? Um, it's healthy for you and beneficial to you, but doesn't necessarily touch on the deeper issues for you. Like you've resolved your deeper issues, but you can continue doing this just because you choose to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Definitely. Speaking of the deeper issues, if we were to summarize the um, the call, I think the two things that I am picking up on that interest me the most, you know, you talked about wanting to be an actress at, at four years old at a very early age. And you did talk about, you know, escapism and wanting to be and pretend that you're in a different situation. The other thing that you mentioned at the end of the call about the, um, you know, the room full of people around a table, you wake up, what are you going to do? high stakes. And the, I think the, the nugget in that is what do you value? And so I'm wondering if there was something, you know, in, in your early childhood that balances those two things of maybe not feeling valued and then wanting to find a situation where you do feel valued. And maybe that's part of where the exploration into, um, uh, acting might've like that might've been your oh my God. towards it. Yeah. yeah. My, I want my feelings validated. You're I, give me your address. <laughs> I need to send you money. No, I mean, I always felt like my feelings were too dramatic. Oh shit. That's great. Thanks guys. <laughs> I always felt like my feelings were too dramatic. Like my mom would say, quit your, you know, quit shaking, you know, Oh, you're so dramatic. You're so this. So it is maybe a little bit about, someone validating of my feelings even more than getting attention because like you know my personality is going to get attention no matter what <laughs> it has a little bit to do with that like wow well so you're putting you yourself go. in so so you were imagining <laughs> situations where your uh your reactions would have been valid is that yeah or yeah like it I makes sense so. that I i'm shaking that because look at the situation i'm in Mm-hmm. Right, right, and yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. I never thought of it like that, but um, 
now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely, you know, I mean, like watching horror films in real life, they're, the one thing is you always feel kind of proud of yourself that you survived it. You know, it's kind of nice for anxiety. But yeah, I definitely think that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Our pleasure. Good. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for being our guest. Yeah, well, thank you. Let me hit the closing here. Uh, thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. Um, and really, I'm going to skip a lot of the stuff that we normally just say here and just say, if you like what we're doing, let us know or tell a friend. Um, that's really the thing that you could do to help us most at the moment. Thanks. Thanks.